Dan Partridge, are you ready to begin week 11 of the Take the Points College Football Podcast with America's favorite new segment, Coach's Restaurant? Absolutely, Tom. Who do we got this week? We're jumping right into it. He may lose his job soon. He's going to need a backup career. Managing a restaurant might be right up his alley. But Dan, where would your fellow namesake, Dan Mullen of Florida, what restaurant would he be best suited to manage? Thanks, Tom. This was another hard decision. Um, But, you know, since he coaches at Florida and Florida has, like, you know, a whole lot of recruits, they got a lot going for them. He does less with more than just about anyone. So I couldn't think of anyone or another restaurant more suitable than Jack in the Box. Jack in the Box is open 24 hours a day. They offer the full menu 24 hours a day. At any point in the day, you can get an egg sandwich, a taco, a cheeseburger, chicken tenders, uh, Oreo shake, ice cream cone, churros, french fries, mozzarella sticks, potato wedges, pancakes, 24 hours a day, and still they're mediocre. And that's exactly what the Florida Gators are. They have a ton of talent coming in. They have a storied history. They have a great home field advantage. They have players in-state who want to go there because Florida State fucking sucks down the road. Miami sucks down the road. And you still just can't get it done. So he'd be great at Jack in the Box. They're open 24 hours a day. Um, He could just go in there and just kind of work any shift. He doesn't really care. He doesn't really care about going out and finding any any high-valued employees, a.k.a. recruits. Uh, He only recruits in the off-season. So – He could be short-staffed all the time and wouldn't care because they're open 24 hours a day. Moral of the story, Jack in the Box will fit Dan Mullen fine because they have everything to offer, yet they're extremely mediocre. And that's what the Florida Gators are this year. So Dan Mullen, Jack in the Box. I love it. America's favorite segment, Coach's Restaurant. Uh, It's it's perfect too, Dan, because since there is a Jack in the Box every three blocks here in Arizona – when he hires Todd Grantham to run one of the franchises and he burns it down, don't worry, we got 37 more locations in the Valley. You know, Penn State was eyeing Dan Mullen when they hired James Franklin. He was one of the top um, prospects, I guess. And uh, I believe they couldn't get him because he was looking for a bigger profile sec job and eventually took florida but you know his star has fallen yeah i would say so um they got absolutely smashed by south carolina last week and i know they had some flu issues and this that and the other but that was an embarrassing performance and then in his press conference on monday he said oh sorry anthony richardson couldn't play because he hurt himself in the team hotel the night before, not playing football, but, you know, making some moves and dancing. That's an asshole move. He could just say that he was injured leading up to the game and lead it at that. You don't need to just chuck him under the bus and say, well, if he wasn't dancing, you know, we, you know, I would, would have been a different story. So, again, we see coaches throwing their players under the bus for no reason, and uh, he's a loser, and he's got about, I don't know, nine, 10, 11 more months. I think he'll be back for next year. Um, 
that usually happens. Like they, they'll, you know, change the coordinators, but uh, look for him to get fired mid next season. That sounds appropriate. Much like Scott Frost. Yeah. Ryan, you're the coaching expert. Uh, we had a, I heard someone call it like scapegoat Saturday last week where a bunch of coordinators got fired for what really should have been the head coach's fault. I mean, standard operating procedure and in, in sports, like if you're on the chopping block, you got to either, you know, do something drastic or face the ax yourself. And so kill or be killed. You got to do what you got to do. Don't worry. There'll be, there'll be more to come on Dan Mullen later. Has there ever been a coach that you guys can remember who was basically about to lose their job threw the coordinator under the bus, like the coordinator really wasn't the problem, and then actually turned it around. I mean, I know guys have fired coordinators and then turned it around, but it usually was when the coordinator was bad. There hasn't really been a situation like, you know, Florida where they they fire the guy who wasn't really at fault and then it magically worked out. No, I can't think of another example. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, uh, hiring Joe Brady to save Orgeron to save his ass and to get a, a modern offense because I think they were going to have a real short leash with Orgeron, and if he didn't bring in Brady, I think he had, he was probably gone. Okay, but yeah, at the I same can... time, sorry, but sorry, I was going to add. But at the same time, last year they they uh, did the same thing where he was forced to get rid of our our main man Bo Pelini as the defensive coordinator, and. Uh, that gave him one more year and he lasted, you know, halfway through the year. But I think you're right. Um, he, he was on a short lease and Mr. Polini was not enough to save his job. Yeah. I mean, if I'm a coordinator and I get fired when the team's doing poorly, basically my last words to the head coach would be see in four months, you know, something like that. Like it's, it's basically inevitable. Yeah. Don't worry. I'll give you my realtor's card. Yeah. Something like that. Like I, I get it. You know, I'll be going up to pit. Come join me in a few months. Um, yeah. All right. I, I want to talk like about another great, coaching thing. I was going to say, it's like the great, it's like the great Kornheiser line. When they started PTI, he walked in the very first production meeting, looked around the room at all the employees and said, I hope you guys all rented and didn't buy. <laughs> Pretty much. Um. Okay. It is Thursday, November 11th, Veterans Day. We're recording this at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Nobody seems to know what time it is out in Arizona. Seven? Six? Yeah. No one knows because of daylight savings times or the lack thereof. We're all confused. Um, I haven't slept in about 42 hours. I was telling Ryan earlier, my son was up sick all night last night, so I didn't sleep a minute. So I was already very, very delirious this afternoon when I saw something from the school, UConn, that we know occasionally has these acid trips that are uh, like, you know, them making the Fiesta Bowl in 2010. Did it happen? Did it not? It's already uncertain. You know what I mean? There's a lot of that around the UConn program already. So I was already super delirious and I saw the news that, they had hired Jim Mora as UConn's new football coach. And I will say, you guys tell me if you thought the same thing. 
but I immediately assumed it was the older Jim Mora. Unfortunately, yes. I was hoping it was going to be Jim Mora Sr. He would fit in perfectly at UConn, but somehow they got Jim Mora Jr., who was somehow, you know, he coached UCLA. He was a coach of the 49ers for a while. Not the best head coach, but he has some experience. I mean, I thought they would hire some complete, you know, someone I've never heard of, but um, I'm actually okay with it. I mean, I, I mean, there's yeah. a lot worse options. I mean, I don't see fucking UMass going and sign anybody with NFL experience. Jim Mora Jr. I'm not saying UConn's going to be good by any means, but no. I, I think they did as well as they could have. I mean, he was on ESPN. He's got some sort of experience. It's not just like, well, we hired the uh, defensive coordinator at uh, um, Miami of Ohio. You know what I mean? Like, it's actually like, oh, really? It's like, yeah, well, when I was coaching in the NFL, we did this. When I, You know, it's like, okay. I think he coached like, you know, Patrick Willis. You know, I mean, that, that's that's a lot better than nothing. So, <sighs> UConn football will not go away. We we thought the program was over. Apparently not. It's, uh, we're, we're in store for another hilarious couple of years minimum, and we'll see what happens. I mean, the nice thing about coaching UConn football is literally if you don't drop to D2, you're a success. I mean, if you yeah. win two games a year, you're, you're on the rise, you know, his first two seasons, if he can win a combined five games, he'll keep his job. And, yeah. uh, you know, I personally thought when I heard the news, I thought the same thing as you, well, he's not going to like go to the playoff. UConn's never going to be good, but he seems to be beyond what they should have gotten. Like I was surprised yeah. they could actually get him. And so that's a win in my book for UConn. And I assume seniors come into town. I also learned today that I, I didn't know, but apparently he's um, uh, Jim Elmora now. He's dropped the junior. And oh. perhaps, I, I don't, I mean, I haven't verified this, but I heard that he never was a junior, that people called him that, but because his middle name is different, you know, he now goes by Jim L. Mora. His dad's Jim E. Mora. And we probably never should have been calling him junior. Technically that was, I think that was the thing that just somebody did it and everybody latched onto it. Like how everybody called Tyrod Taylor by the wrong name for like seven years and he never corrected them. It's fine. Anyway, yeah. UConn Good football. I, I have an all positive comment on UConn football. Well done. I might actually go to a game next year. You know, given that it's four miles from my house and I haven't been there in like five years, might be time. It is time. Yeah. It is time. Please go. All right. All right. I think it's time to get into the lines, Dan. Everything we want to talk about from last week and coaches and other stuff, it's all going to come to us as we do the line. So uh, let's not delay any longer. Let's get right into it. All right, Tom. We're moving right into it. Saturday morning, Michigan at Penn State, Michigan minus one and a half, total 48 and a half. Take it away, Tom Z. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the short answer is I think it's right on in terms of betting. I think Vegas got this one correct. Um, as a Penn State fan, I, I, I don't know. I have a, a ominous feeling given the way they've played this season and especially the last few weeks and their inability to establish any kind of running game. I think it's the worst run offense that I've ever seen at Penn state in my, you know, when do we start watching like 
92. Yep. I don't think I've ever seen a worse overall run game. I've been trying to figure out all season, like, is it the O-line? Is it the running backs? Is it the play calling? And I think it's everything. I think, uh, you know, at first I immediately blame the O-line because James Franklin O-lines have been pretty terrible his whole time there. Um, then I watch the running backs and they just, they keep making the wrong cuts. You know, they'll have a, a gap. They had a lot of holes against even Ohio state, a good defense. And, you know, you have to go left or right at some point, um, and, you know, break out from behind a blocker and they just seem to always choose the wrong way. And, uh, Noah Kane, who was a really good running back, someone who I really liked when he was a freshman, um, a couple years ago, he's just, he got injured last year, a really bad injury. He was out for the year. He's just never been the same. And he was supposed to be the number one guy. And they brought in, uh, John Lovett from Baylor, who was really good at Baylor, as you recall, Dan, a couple of years ago. And, you know, he hasn't done much. So it's, um, it's hard to figure out because they seem to have talented guys and they just can't get anything done in the run game. And I think, you know, the reason I bring that up is because I think given Michigan's tough defense, if you're one dimensional and you have a quarterback who I'm still not confident is a hundred percent. Um, I don't know. Sean Clifford has to basically play the game of his life if they want to win this game. And, uh, it might happen cause he's been playing really well the last few weeks, but, um, he does, he's not mobile. He doesn't run. And uh, we know Michigan this year is just a fundamentally sound running good in the trenches team. And that's the kind of team that's been giving Penn state trouble. So I don't like it. I think Penn state's defense and Joey Porter will keep a minute. Penn state can load the box and they have um, a really great secondary that can shut down Michigan's pretty weak passing game. So if I had to pick, I'm going to lean toward the under as I have with Penn state and Michigan games all season. I probably think Michigan wins it by about three to four points, but I wouldn't bet anything on the, on the line could go either way. Thank you for your honest assessment, Tom. It's probably accurate. Um, I'm going to take Penn state as a home dog. Um, A lot of talk this week about Michigan being ranked over Michigan state. Who cares? Uh, Each team's each going to lose another game. Um, Correct. And I feel like Michigan's eight and one Penn state, six and three. After this game, Michigan eight and two, Penn State seven and three. I think that makes sense to me. So I'll take Penn State on the money line for a little small taste. Brian, any pick in this Big Ten thriller? Just the under and take a nap. There you go. It's early. It's an early game. Not for us. All right. This is big noon, baby. Big noon. Can I just give a shout out to whoever at College Game Day last week had the sign that said "Abolish Big Noon." I think that was one of the funniest, <laughs> one of the best signs I've seen. That is outstanding work. Um, all right. UConn travels to Clemson. This is your this is your classic Clemson minus 41 total 51 game with a extremely this might be the thinnest margin we've ever seen for a, a Clemson and underhook or any team and underhook I've ever seen. You literally have like three possible scores to get this accurate in here. So um, uh, let's, as the UConn alum, I'll take this one. Uh, This 
I'm gonna I'm gonna say under. I think Clemson wins this game 45 nothing. Um, I don't think UConn can score in this game. I, I'm, I'm almost positive they're getting shut out. And uh, Clemson's offense is still just terrible. So their quarterback only has seven passing touchdowns through nine games. That's just unacceptable. So, Tom? I don't know if you've been watching Clemson football the last couple of weeks, but um, DJ was never really a runner. He was a pocket passer, and he, they've been running him a lot the last couple of weeks. And I think that's a byproduct of his inability to perform in the passing game. They're like, well, you better fucking run then because you're not doing shit passing. So that's the uh, vibe I've been getting. And they they did actually play a backup for a few snaps. I mean, it was kind of like wildcat-ish run, obvious run formations. It's not like DJ's job is threatened, but they are trying something. And... um I'm, I made a mistake earlier this season, probably two or three weeks ago, where I think Kansas was playing Oklahoma State, was it? And the line was like 35, and, and I looked up, and I was like, Oklahoma State hasn't scored more than 31 the whole season. And so I picked Kansas, and of course, Oklahoma State just demolished them. So even though Clemson, I'm pretty sure, has not gotten to 40 points this whole year, I feel like they're going to, this will be the game that they win 48 to three. Probably right. Um, yeah, it's going to be pretty bad. All right. Another important noon game, Syracuse at Louisville, Louisville minus three at home, total 55 and a half Syracuse sitting at five and four. They got three games left. They got to win one to make a bowl at Louisville at NC state home against Pitt. Looking very shady. This will probably be the, the smallest spread of, of the three games. Ryan, can Syracuse win this game and save Dino's job? Can they? Yes. They, they can win this game. Will they? Not looking great. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a matter of, of trusting this team on the road. And they haven't earned my trust of them on the road. And so it's going to be hard for them the next two weeks to pick up a road game. I mean, these teams are both vulnerable. They're both beatable, but they're going to have to stink it up. So if you like Syracuse, hook it with the under. If you like Louisville, hook it with the over. That's the only way this game's going to go. Z? No, pass. Uh, yeah, I have no clue, but, um, I, I'm feeling this is going to be a weird game. Um, I'll keep my eye on this one early in the morning. All right. Moving on to the noon time slot. Utah travels to Arizona for a noon mountain time start. Utah minus 24 total 54. The reason I talk about this game is. Two reasons. One, congratulations to Arizona for breaking the longest winning sh- or losing, sorry, winning, ha, losing streak in the country. They beat Cal, who was out with without like 30 players were out with COVID and injuries for Cal. They had no quarterback. They're like no special teams players. And Arizona was able to pull it out in the last second. Still counts, will, Dan. Still counts. That will not be the case this week. Uh you're going to want to take Utah minus 24. Thanks to the Arizona win, uh, this spread went from probably 35 to 24. Um, 
and it being a noon start, everyone's going to be asleep, much like the Arizona State game a couple weeks ago. Um, Utah is really, really good. Again, uh, they started off uh, shaky because they had a terrible quarterback in Charlie Brewer. They had the new one in there. They're running all over teams. They're smashing teams left and right. Ryan's uh, Utah Utes and Georgia's Tinder team from 2020 is back and looking very strong. And this will be a nice warm-up for for Utah so they can wax Arizona, rest everyone in the fourth quarter, and get ready to beat Oregon next week, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, I like Utah big time minus 24. Any, any other thoughts, anybody? I don't have a pick for the game, but I did do a little preliminary research on what we've promised for next week, which is a list of the coolest Oregon quarterbacks, 1997 oh, to present, last 25 great. years. I've got a list. I've got a. I've got some thoughts, and uh, that's coming next week. So stay tuned. There's a lot of. There's not a lot of uncool Oregon quarterbacks in the past 25 years. There's only like three that are not noteworthy. Very true. All right, now we're moving on to the 3:30 Eastern slot. There's a couple nice games this week. First one we got Georgia, who is really good. Travels to Tennessee. Tennessee looks much improved this year. Uh, very nice job by Heupel, making them look semi-competitive. Hendon Hooker, nice little transfer quarterback story. Georgia's only given up like 58 points this year. I think me and Ryan projected Georgia at like 90 points given up in the regular season, and we're like right on pace, by the way, on November 11th today. Um this is going to be a little bit of a tricky spot, obviously. Um, Tennessee, home field advantage, 110,000. They can score some points. Um, I really have no feel for this game. I would lean over 56, but betting an over in a Georgia game is really tough at the same time. Um, I think Tennessee might be able to score 17 or 20 points, but uh, I would not be shocked if they score six as well. So I don't know. Ryan, what do you think about this one? I am on the hypo bandwagon. He's roped me in. Uh, I believe in what he's doing at Tennessee. I think that Hooker can get up and down the field with this team a little bit. He can uh, make it interesting. I think Georgia lost their best rush defender defensive end, whatever you want to call them, to uh, rape allegations. So that's a little bit of a, you know, concern. Uh, You know, something, distraction, we'll call it, for the team. So, I don't know, call me crazy. As much as we've bashed the Vols over the last eight years of take the points, I really like Tennessee in this spot to, uh, to cover the 20. Wow. Z. I'm glad you said that because I was feeling crazy that this line was too high. Tennessee, I think, can get to about 17 points. And uh, I think Georgia's going to win it something like 33, 32 to 17, which would not be a cover. Um, I think it's a good matchup for Tennessee. I mean, I think Tennessee's trying to establish themselves as the the second best team in the East this year and uh, a potential like someone to be reckoned with in the future of the East. I think this is an important game. It's at home. They've got the home field. 
Georgia hasn't really struggled this year, unless you count the first game against Clemson. And nobody gets through a season undefeated, ranked number one, without you know a little bit of a tough game. So I feel like this is going to be their tough one before the SEC championship. And um, yeah, that's basically it. I mean, it's based. I'm basing this on a premonition, but um, I think uh, all signs point to Tennessee being somewhat competitive. But I'll take Georgia for the win for sure. And I, I would lean a slight under as well. So I'm, I'm thinking if it's 33, 17, that's 50 points. So you're slightly under. Sounds good. Uh, yeah. That, that's a good point about um, Georgia's schedule. So they got their home against like Charleston Southern next week. Then they get at Georgia tech for the rivalry game. Those are two easy wins than the sec yeah. title game. So this is their last chance to uh, slip up in true Georgia form. So I don't think this is going to be a cakewalk. I expect some nonsense to go down for sure. They're also in, they just got to win and they're in like, they don't, they're not Cincinnati. They don't need to impress the judges in any way. So there's no incentive to win this game by 30 points, you know, and if they do, then, uh, you know, never go against Georgia the rest of the season because it means they're that damn good. Yeah. Good point. All right, here we go. Purdue at Ohio State. Purdue getting it done again, beating a top five team. Unbelievable. Purdue's six and three all of a sudden. Um, their wide receiver uh, has 64 catches for 1,000 yards already, David Bell. Nice job by Purdue. Um, I remember taking them earlier in the year against Minnesota, and somehow Minnesota won at Purdue, and I felt like an idiot. But since then, They've done a hell of a job. So um, nice job by Purdue. Anyway, uh, Ohio State minus 21 this week. Ohio State will not be fucking around. Um, I don't know about the 21-point line, but I like the over 62-and-a-half. Purdue throws the ball. Ohio State's a little leaky on defense. Ohio State's going to score in the 40s or 50s. Uh, so I'm going to take the over 62-and-a-half. I think that's uh, one of the best plays of the week. Tom, what you think? The only thing keeping me from taking the points with Purdue is the fact that they've already got not one, but two wins against top five teams. If they can pull off a trifecta, that would be one of the great seasons and certainly one of the great Purdue seasons of all time. Um, I like them. I like the matchup for them. Ohio state's in a position where they're looking ahead to Michigan state and Michigan. Those are the two games they've got to win. And even though, Everybody underestimates Purdue and you think it wouldn't happen. You know, when you look at the schedule, this would be an opportunity to underestimate someone. So I'm going to uh, also take an over and I'm going to take the 21 with Purdue, uh, small wagers. And I'm looking at some kind of score, 42, 30, something like that. Very good. Can't go wrong there, Tom. All right, we're going to scroll through the slate. I'm trying to keep this kind of light this week in terms of picks. Um, let's see here. Let's see here. Bum, 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 bum. All right, here we go. This is for you, Ryan. Big ACC matchup. Duke travels to Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech minus 11 and a half. It's a Total setup. 51. This is a setup. Ryan, do you have any... Do you have any, and maybe, do you have any pick on this game, Ryan? Well, thanks for that nice warm-up there, Vince McMahon. I appreciate that. 
Because this is officially a WWE loser leaves town match. <laughs> if Fuente loses to Duke, he's getting fired on the tarmac. That's a lock. Guaranteed. However, he's not on the tarmac yet. But there are some names on the tarmac that I think we need to discuss. Oh, boy. This is not a good week if your name is Butch yet again. Butch Davis sitting at one and eight. Not good. State of Florida. Dan already discussed how talent rich Florida is. And, you know, you still can't even pick up the scraps. Speaking of scraps, Butch Jones. You get your own special separate slot this week because you are also one in eight this year. One in eight. Arkansas State GoDaddy Bowl veterans are one in eight. Unacceptable. You only have two schools in the state. Two. You have Arkansas and you have Arkansas State. Like, who are you competing with? Hendricks, Hendricks College in Conway, Arkansas? Is that, is that who you're losing recruits to? You dumb moron. There, wait, there's got to be one of those last chance U schools in Arkansas, right? Not like a real school. I'm sure there's a bunch of NAIA schools in Arkansas. I mean, Arkansas, they're like 47th in the country in education on a good year. I'm sure Butch is losing guys to them. Doesn't take a lot of, doesn't take a lot of education to outsmart Butch. Look, money, you can pay players now. You got slippery Will Clinton in your state. Just ask him for a few bucks. He'll he'll teach you how to snag a few recruits. Don't worry. He's good with that. All right. Coming in at number three. He's been gone for a little bit, but it's time for a return. Fresh off a three-game losing streak. Mr. Adazio. Oh, we didn't forget about you. You got nice and comfy up there in business class on that Delta flight. Wait till you take that Spirit Airlines home out of Fort Collins or wherever, the Colorado Springs. You ever fly fly Frontier out of Colorado Springs? Not good, Steve. Oh, boy. By the way, their last three games – after coming on a three-game losing streak, their next three games, I think, are Air Force, home for Air Force, at Hawaii, home for Nevada. Air Force is a loss. Mm-hmm. Nevada is the best team in the Mountain West. They're losing those two games at home. The only chance Adazio has of not losing six straight to end the year is they got to win at Hawaii on like Thanksgiving week. Okay. Have fun motivating your players when they're in Hawaii, leaving Colorado in late November to go to Hawaii to play a meaningless game. 
Good luck motivating your team, Steve. Hey, by the way, Dan, UConn did it. UConn hired a coach before Adazio was available because we all knew that that was going to happen. If he was there and they were there, it was going to be a match made in heaven. Thank God. And real quick, I believe on Take the Points, we said to take the the very uh, strong Wyoming Cowboys plus three and a half against Adazio last week. Wyoming coming off of four straight losses and they blew out Colorado State. What a fucking joke that was. Sorry, Ryan, continue. <laughs> well, speaking of jokes, Jim, Cutcliffe, oh, Cutcliffe. <laughs> It's not looking good. Duke basketball gets the big win over Kentucky to open the season. This is the time. Give Cutcliffe the axe this weekend while Duke basketball's <laughs> flying high and no one gives a shit. No one will even notice he's gone. Half the students won't even know he was the coach to begin with. <laughs> They're just like, oh, that old guy that watches me when I'm on the treadmill? Oh, okay. Thought he was a janitor. Okay, number one, a rare feat in tarmac history, boys, to go from off the tarmac to number one immediately. You don't even get to climb the ladder. Dan Mullen, oh, I don't care what you guys said earlier. You guys think he's going to get fired mid-next year. The Grantham move wasn't enough. They're in trouble. If they lose to the to Florida State, oh my God. How bad is that gonna be? If if they lose to Florida State, Mullen's getting tarmacked in Tallahassee. And that's off a bus. They're gonna pull him <laughs> off the bus, take him to the airport, and then leave him there instead. We might have to have a new segment, the Greyhound Report. <laughs> he's going they're gonna he's going on t Payne's touring bus that's the best he's gonna get oh it's gonna be bad he's gonna have to sit in the back of the marching bands bus on the way back because the football team's not gonna let him on the team bus can be him and three trombone players breaking down x's and o's versus cover three in the back of the, the band bus oh mullen you're not gonna make it buddy you're not gonna make it what does Mullen's uh, future prospects look like aside from managing a Jack in the box? You think he'd be like a Sunbelt coach, Mac, Mac 2024. I think Mullen should take, should take the Washington state job. That's where Dan Mullen should go. Washington state. Yep. Not you dub. No, he doesn't like recruiting players to that academically rigorous university that doesn't <laughs> with schools like Oregon. He doesn't like recruiting players, period. Exactly. So just go to Washington state. There's no expectations. You just have to beat UW like once every three to four years and keep it close with Oregon once every three to four years. And you're good to go. Yeah. If you're the Washington state coach and you literally just don't go to the January 6th riot, you're, you're a success. Like that's where the bar is at. Yeah, pretty much. As long as you're not trying to stop the steal and just, yeah. you know, watching film, you're going to be fine. <laughs> oh, that was good. Good stuff. 
That's really good. I'm, I, I will say I am shocked about two things. Um, you know, number one, the, the lesser thing, which I can understand, but Clay Helton does technically have a job now. And oh, don't worry. He's coming. I'd like, I would like to see him, you know, I listen, you have full editorial control over the tarmac report. You know, I would love to see Clay Helton be the first pre hire to make the tarmac before his tenure he, officially starts. We know it's going to be bad. We don't need to wait. I, I had him at number five. <laughs> I, I knew it, it doubled up the two butches as one. And I was like, nah, we'll save that for later. I, I do. I do think it's funny that the butches have gone so low now that you had to split them up separately. We were just considering them one person before, but you're like, they each need, they, they need to be reprimanded separately. Correct. We can't, they're, they're too much trouble together. We have to separate them and punish them separately. Um, but the one thing I want to add a little, uh, bonus honorable mention tarmac is Mr. Scott Frost, who, uh, should have been fired by now, but his buyout is so great that he renegotiated his contract to stay at Nebraska for another nine months, basically. Yeah. And this is, I, I think I said to you guys, it's the, the rare, like two way tarmac with two planes flying at each other. Um, they can't fire him cause it would cost them too much, but he can't leave and get another job cause he's done too bad a job. So he stays and takes a pay cut and they're basically just like, we're not going to try. Yep. That's why he's, he, he gets a reprieve from the tarmac because he self it's pretty much a lock that he's going to stick around for at least another, like you said, nine months. He's he's what he's going to do is he bought like a, one of those like miniature homes on the tarmac and he's just going to live there. Yeah. It's like, yeah, pretty much. He got a job as a baggage handler, so he can just stay on the tarmac permanently. He's getting the lay of the land. He's learning where the where the exits are. <laughs> He's got the um like surveying those that surveying tool. Look, if you get a job there in advance, then when you get fired, you can go in and get like a free Chick-fil-A sandwich because they're gonna fire you on a Saturday, so you might as well load up before they close on Sunday. Scott Frost, ladies and gentlemen, not your next UConn coach. Maybe your next Syracuse coach. Who knows? There's always hope. I want Syracuse actually—that's that's actually really interesting. Well, that's it could go I a number of ways. Yeah, but we'll save that for a future week. I think I think Dino's got a few weeks left in him. Uh, all right, Dan. Let's continue with some lines. What else do we have this week? All right, we got Texas A&M going to Ole Miss. Nice nighttime SEC game here. Uh, A&M minus two and a half, over under 57. A&M still has a route to win the SEC uh, with an Auburn win over Alabama, which isn't going to happen. Um, well, maybe. But um, anyway, the total of this game is 57. Very interesting. Um I think you have to wait until almost kickoff to see what the health is for Mississippi. I mean, they were missing everybody last week against Liberty. The top three wideouts were out. Um, Matt Corral is clearly injured. It's, it's pretty clear. He's playing yeah. through a lot of stuff this year. But um, 
Yeah, uh, interesting, interesting game. I'm going to go Ole Miss at home, gets the win. I don't trust the AM offense, but uh, this is going to be just a fun game to watch. Every time Jimbo starts creeping up the poles, he's got to do Jimbo things. We're going to start calling him Jimbo Ricked here real soon. This this has, yeah, this has Ole Miss written all over it. It's college game day. Is Katy Perry going to come to the SIP? We don't know. Lane's all over social media trying to get her to come to the game. Matt Corral's on social media talking to Katy Perry. I love it. Give me Ole Miss. Give me the over. Hook that mother. Double up your cash. Z. Lane's just going to get some like waitress from the whatever saltwater cafe down there in Boca and just have them uh, like dress up as Katy Perry. You know what I wear? Wear a dress that looks like an ice cream cone or something. Nobody's going to know the difference. He has the Katy Perry cutout in the locker room, like in Major League, and they're counting down the days till game day. <laughs> He's the best. <laughs> he rules. I, a, a true career resurrection. I mean, we always loved him, but now all of America sees what we saw all these years. So I'm very happy for Lane. I'm with Dan. I don't think Corral is a hundred percent. I think that's pretty obvious. Same thing as I said about Sean Clifford, where he's been playing well, but you know, he's limited. I feel the same way about Corral over the last couple of weeks. Like he's still playing well, but he's not his old self. And, um, I would be hesitant to take anything in this game, but especially hesitant to bet on a Mississippi team that I don't think is anywhere near a hundred percent for this. Real quick, speaking of Corral, who the hell is winning the Heisman Trophy this year? I can never remember a year where this late in the season, we have no idea. Whoever wins it this year is just, I, I feel it almost feels like the weakest Heisman Trophy winner we've had maybe in our lifetime. Is that an exaggeration? Um, I know there I mean, were maybe some Oklahoma quarterbacks who went like Bradford or some no. bullshit, but uh, Z, go ahead. Let, I, let me, I know let me do my rant this. that I've been hinting at the whole season. Uh, we've never had a true defensive player win the Heisman Trophy. You know, Woodson won it in 97, but he never would have won it if he wasn't returning kicks and playing both ways. Uh, he won it for those kind of standout moments, which mainly came on offense and special teams. It's If we're talking about the best player, statistically speaking, there are going to be years when the best player is a defensive player. And I know why they don't want you know, the face of the sport that year to be a defensive player. They always want a quarterback or a running back for obvious reasons. Those guys get the stats, but this year is a weird anomaly and nobody has really stepped up to sort of claim the Heisman trophy. The guys that seem to be at the head of the pack, CJ Stroud, Bryce young haven't been really impressive. And they're doing the same things that players in their positions that their schools have been doing for 10 years, which makes it pretty obvious. Those are system quarterbacks. Um, the other guys like Corral's been injured. Bijan Robinson, as we expected, like the team's just not good enough for him to be up there. Tyler Goodson, same thing. The team has slipped. He's slipped. Uh, Brees Hall. There's nobody on offense that really stands out. And you're right. If they give it to any offensive player, 
it would probably be the weakest one of our lifetime. And that's evidenced by the fact that Caleb Williams is getting Heisman hype despite just earning the starting spot like three weeks ago. Meanwhile, we have one of the biggest difference makers I've ever seen in our life on uh, defense, and that's Jordan Davis of Georgia. Georgia's the number one team in the country. They're the number one team because of their defense, specifically because of their defense. They're not number one because of Stetson Bennett or or Chad Lad McConkie or whatever the fuck that guy's name is. Like they're number one because of that defense is amazing. And the whole defense is amazing, but it's Jordan Davis, the huge man in the middle who clogs up the run game for every other team they face and just creates so many problems. The rest of the defense emanates off of his play and what he takes away from opposing teams. They're in the number one team in the country. They're the number one team because of defense. He's the standout player on that defense. He's the best defensive player in college this year. I think it's time. It's time to give the Heisman to a defensive player. It's time to give the Heisman to Jordan Davis of the Georgia Bulldogs. And that's it. And they're probably, I mean, they are the odds on favor to win the national championship would be the first time they've done it in 41 years. And it's because of that defense. So it's not just the fact that there's no offensive standouts and you're giving it to defense as sort of a novelty, but you actually have an incredibly outstanding defensive unit and player leading that unit. Jordan Davis for Heisman. You heard it here, not first, but I'm going to be the most passionate one about it first. And, and that's, I've made my decision. That's the train I'm on for the rest of the season, whatever happens. Unless they he lose has to like Georgia Tech and and Tennessee, if they lose out, obviously I change my mind. He has um, moved up the board. He's now all the way up to uh, twelve to one to win, which is pretty impressive. Just to go through the odds real quick: Bryce Young two to one, Kenneth Walker four to one, C.J. Stroud five to one, Caleb Williams six to one, Corral six to one, Jordan Davis twelve to one, Kenny Pickett eighteen to one. Um, it, it, I think it would be really lame if it went to Alabama again, just uh, especially if they lose to Georgia in the SEC title game. I can't see Bryce Young winning it. I think Michigan State's going to lose another game. I, I really think it's down to C.J. Stroud or Jordan Davis. I, I think I, I think it's I think if, if, if Ohio State wins out, it's going to go to C.J. Um, that's kind of yeah. my my gut right now. And that's what I said. I literally said that from our first episode this year that I thought it would be You're C.J. Right. Stroud. For, I think I said, I mean, listen, I get a lot of stuff wrong, but I think I got this one from the start, which is that there'd be a lot of guys who are okay. A lot of um, situations like Alabama where the running back and the quarterback compete for votes and Stroud is going to have big numbers because of all the talent surrounding him. I'm not saying he's bad, but to me, he hasn't done anything especially impressive. They could, they have other guys on the team right now who could go in and come away with equal outcomes and results. So of all those guys, I'm just shaking my head because like, you know, in baseball, they have that stat of like value above replacement player. I don't feel like any of those guys have besides corral and Pickett. I don't feel like Bryce young, Caleb Williams doesn't have any value over replacement player considering 
Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, all the other guys. I don't even think he's been that much better than Spencer Rattler. It's wide open this year. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. All right, we're going back to the Lions. Another night game. Arizona State travels to Washington. Arizona State minus five and a half, total 45 and a half. Goodbye, John Donovan. We talked about this loser from the first week of the year, taking over as offensive coordinator for Washington. He didn't even make it out as the first year. Washington's offense has been terrible. And then you get to couple that with head coach Jimmy Lake getting the one-game suspension for smacking a player. Couple that with Arizona State uh, being a Jekyll and Hyde team. Total for this game, 45 and a half. Over. I feel like Washington's offense can't play any worse than it has the entire year. I think Arizona travels like shit on the road. 45 and a half is not a lot of points. Dan P pick of the week over 45 and a half Arizona state, Washington, the John Donovan effect game. Anyone have any thoughts on that one? Uh, I like, I like ASU in this game a lot. Um, I would lay that five and a half all day. I think they win this game by at least two touchdowns. Very possible. Very possible. All right, Tom, this one's going back to you. Notre Dame travels to Virginia. Sneaky spot for Notre Dame. Notre Dame laying five and a half, total 64. That Virginia offense can score points. Can they pull the upset and beat Notre Dame? Yeah, why not? I don't have a strong feeling on this, but like this Notre Dame team is not a true um, playoff contender. I, I feel like they're... I mean, they're not a playoff contender, but I don't even feel like they're really quite New Year's Six quality when you look at the other teams that will probably be in those New Year's Six Bowls. So I'd love for them to lose a game like this and just go on to the uh, uh, the Belk Bowl or some shit. What's what's the like third-rate Notre Dame bowl game they always go to? I was thinking uh, Outback. Right. Yeah, something like that. Belk is fine. Citrus. That works for me. Pinstripe. They're probably too good for the pinstripe, but I just, I, I see him play and I feel like this is not a new year six team. I don't know where they lose that game, but you know, this is as good a chance as any. So I'll take a flyer on Virginia. Let's do it. Good call. Oh yeah. I mean, guys, let, let me run through Virginia's team totals this season. Week one, 43 points. Week two, 42. Week three, 39. Then I had a 17 against Wake. That happens. 30, 34, 48, 48, and then 49 in a loss. So their last three straight games, they've gone 48, 48, 49. Unders, over under 64. Give me the over in this game all day. Uh I don't really feel comfortable picking a side one way or the other. I guess if you're, uh, if you, if you want Cincinnati in the playoff, then I guess you got to kind of have to keep rooting for Notre Dame to win uh, and to win rather impressively. So Cincinnati's win over them looks good. Uh, If you don't really want to see Cincinnati in the playoff, then go ahead and uh, root for the Wahoos. And uh, you know, we all hate Notre Dame. It's always fun to see them lose. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't even thinking about that, but yeah, I do want to see Cincy. I'd like some change in the playoff. I'd like a team in there that isn't a traditional powerhouse, and so I guess I'm going to root for Notre Dame. 
I'll bet Virginia and then root for Notre Dame, and I'll win just one way or the bet, other. Bet the over, and you win either way. Just see. I think this is. I, I don't know. I think this is going to be like a thirty-three thirty game. I think it's going to be right on. Yeah, um, I'm. I'm going to pull for Virginia because I don't need a Notre Dame finishing with only one loss, and somehow like people being like, I think one loss Notre Dame should get in over undefeated Cincinnati, even though Cincinnati oh. beat them. You wait and wait for this argument; it'll happen. This is my this is my two years ago. Um, Michigan is the best four loss team in the country. Argument when I was joking all season, Michigan had like three losses. I'm like, yeah, but if you look at the quality losses. <laughs> They had a Notre Dame gets in. We're only a matter of time, right? From somebody making the playoff over somebody else that beat them. And the, the um, committee citing that as a quality loss, like Michigan, my joke, you know, Michigan was ranked a spot of, of Michigan state. And I was like, well, of course they have a quality loss to Michigan state. You're right, Tom. You're totally right. So it could be the same right. thing, you know, Notre Dame, you know, Notre Dame is only has one loss and it was a quality loss to Cincy. So that's why they have to get in over Cincy. I hate Notre Dame. I hope they lose and we don't have to talk about them the rest of the year. That'd be preferred for everybody. Um, all right, moving on. NC state at wake Forest. This is a fun ACC night game right here. Wake Forest minus two at home, total 66 and a half. Wake Forest gives up a million points every week. They also have scored over 35 every single week. Hats off to their head coach, uh, Clawson, right? David Clawson? Dave Clawson, yep. They score a billion points, and that's including like having their last year running back, Kenneth Walker, transfer to Michigan State, who's second for Heisman odds in the whole country. Um, I'm going to take over 66 and a half and hope for another fun Wake Forest shootout. I incorrectly took the under in UNC Wake Forest last week and thought, I'm like, oh, that's just too many points. So, no, 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 it wasn't. It was over mid-third quarter. Um, Should be a fun game. Tom, what do you think about this one? I I was waiting for Wake to lose, and I thought it was going to be this week, but they got it out of the way last week. So now I think they're in a prime position to win this week. And uh, Sam Hartman, you know, if nobody's going to listen to me and we're not going to give the Heisman to a defensive player – there's an offensive player who scores six, throws six touchdowns a game and is a very prime reason why his team is a top 10 team. So let's get Sam Hartman to New York City. Yes, good call. Um, all right, what else we got here? We got, let's see. Washington State travels to Oregon. Oregon minus 14, over under 57 and a half. Um, Oregon's look very shaky. Can they cover the 14 at home against Washington State? Ryan, what do you think about this one? This is so hard. This line's like exactly right. If it was over 14, it was the absolute snap call to take the points. If it's 10, 11, I think it's an easy call for for Oregon at 10. So I think 14 is dead on. I'd still probably lean Oregon if I had to. And uh, yeah, this is, this is a hard one. Z got anything on this one? Nope. Yeah, no, this one's tough. Washington state's been playing pretty good, actually a little bit under the radar. Oregon's very suspect. Um, I wouldn't lay points with Oregon at all. Again, this is the kind of a look ahead spot to go at Utah next week, which would be the hardest game of the year. 
Uh, I'll take Washington State plus 14 and hope for a close game. And that concludes this week's lines. Tom, do you have any other games you want to talk about that I missed? Yeah, well, I just have a question for you guys. You know, uh, one that we didn't talk about was number eight, Oklahoma, goes to number 13, Baylor. And I wonder if this is the most high-profile, biggest game that no one cares about that we've ever seen. Yeah, clearly. I skipped it. Uh, (laughs) Number eight versus number 13. I haven't heard anyone talk about it. Nobody seems to care about the implications of it. The fact that they're like, this could be the college game day game just based on rankings. And I don't know anyone who cares outside of Waco and uh, Norman. It's really interesting. Oklahoma's nine and zero, and nobody cares. Yeah. Like, so, so what's really going on in the big, what's going on in the Big Twelve? I mean, you guys are the west of the Mississippi experts on this show. Oklahoma doesn't have; they don't have a single win versus a team ranked in the top twenty-five. Not one. We all—I mean, we all think they're they're being set up to leapfrog Cincy, right? As long as they keep winning. Absolutely. If they went out, they're going to the playoff. They'll find a way to get in there. Um, is it possible Oklahoma is actually undervalued for the first time in like 10 years? I mean, they're number eight or nine in the country and they're undefeated. They should be like three and they're not. Um, but like Ryan said, they haven't really beat anyone. They've kind of slopped around, beat Nebraska 23-16, beat West Virginia 16-13, Kansas State 37-31, Texas 58-48. Even uh, Kansas, they had to come from behind and went 35-23 and had that weird play. Um, My take on it is that – oh, sorry to interrupt. Um, No, go ahead. You're good. That's all I got. Yeah, my my take on it is that they've had two chances this season to kind of catch the eye of the casual viewer. And uh, the first time was like right out of the gate with Spencer Rattler. In the first couple games, they just didn't impress. And people kind of tuned them out. And then they made the QB switch to Caleb Williams. And he had that first game, which was outstanding. And they sort of came back into the consciousness of college football and people tuned in again. And then Caleb Williams second game was not as impressive. And people were like, "Ah, all right, you know, he had a good game, but, but now he's back to mediocre and I'm out again. He's been playing pretty well, but I just feel like, you know, people got invested in Oklahoma twice this season and got some disappointing results and just kind of checked out twice. And I don't know if, you know, until they're in the sec or the big 12 championship game with a chance to go to the playoff, they'll probably get that third look. But until then, I don't think anyone's going to care again, even if they're playing top 15 teams, I feel like, you know, we've, uh, we gave you our attention twice, win out and, you know, maybe we'll see you in January. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think you guys, I think you're right. And, uh, I think it was definitely a valid question about, uh, you know, if they keep winning, even if it's unimpressive wins, will they leapfrog Cincinnati? And I think that's a really good question. It's also a really good opportunity for us to discuss Cincinnati and how we can improve Cincinnati. Uh by naming a council of elders. Tom, this is an interesting one. I'm excited for this one. I know you you usually introduce the segments, but Yeah, I, I was, was gonna good. I was gonna tie well, we'll do this first and I wanna tie this into I, I think we're at the point where we can kind of talk about the playoff and I, I think it's pretty 
in my mind, it's actually a pretty simple scenario for the playoffs. But let's talk about Cincinnati because they need some help if they want to get into the playoff this year. They're in the position, but they're going to need some help. And that means they need some wisdom. And so we've been uh, picking councils of elders for various cities, and it's time to do Cincinnati. So, Ryan, who's our council of elders, Cincinnati, Ohio? Thanks, Tom. Yeah, this is a really interesting one because normally we do these for schools that are struggling. We need to give them a council of elders to get them off the schneid and back to their winning ways. This is a really interesting one, though, because they are winning. However, what they really need is like a good PR firm. They need to get their name out there. So I think the first thing you got to do is you got to go appeal to the football nerds. So you go and get their famous alum, Chris Collinsworth, who, you know, loves football more than anybody, could talk him up. He also has the pro football focus angle because that's his. And the way that he rigs the formulas in that to always hate the Bills he can rig the formulas in college to make all the Cincinnati players better. We can higher rank all of them through pro football focus. If Collinsworth gets involved, that's really big. We got to appeal to the committee and the true football nerds. He's number one. Okay. Now we got to cover some other segments of the population. So to do that, we got to go to the entertainment world and we need to grab Two people to make sure we basically get all the demographics. So one, we're going to cheat and we're going to take the mayor of Cincinnati. Do you guys know who the mayor of Cincinnati is? I do. And I was going to be disappointed if you left this guy out. That's right. Jerry Springer. That's right. The Jerry (laughs) Springer is actually the mayor of Cincinnati. So he gets in. That's automatic. That covers a really healthy segment of the population. However, I I don't know how healthy that segment is. Correct. Healthy might not be the right word. A large portion of the population. However, now we got to, we got to get some more people into our circle here on our team. So we're going to bring in Mr. Cat Williams. Cincinnati resident, favorite of Take the Points co-host, Dan P. Big Cat Williams fan he is. He's great. I, he's See? great. I didn't know he was from Cincinnati, so I learn stuff in these segments every week. Oh, yeah. He's perfect. So we get Jerry Springer, Cat Williams. We're good. We're covered on that end. So now the next step to get Cincinnati in the public consciousness is We got to make some promos. We got to get some hype videos. We got to get some commercials on TV. And who better to do that than Cincinnati's Steven Spielberg? Oh, yeah. Bet you guys didn't know that one either. Spielberg from Cincinnati. His father is a Cincinnati alum. There you go. He graduated from Cincinnati as an amateur filmmaker and then use some money to help film his or fund his son's film career when he was young. So we get Spielberg in. He's going to make some amazing hype videos, some trailers. So now we got to get distribution. How do we get this 
Spielberg, the Cat Williams stand-up special where he's wearing Cincinnati jersey. We're gonna how do we get that out of the public? We need some funding and distribution, and that's where Ted Turner comes into play. Oh yeah, I did two separate Google searches to make sure he was really still alive, and he is. See, I feel See, like Ted, he would, I feel like he would have been the Atlanta Council of Elders. He could have been, but he is from Cincinnati. And so he's the perfect person to fill out the elders because he is the most elder of the council of elders. It's great. He's got the money. He's got the TV. We get all those commercials out there. He's going to be pumping Cincinnati commercials left and right on CNN, TNT, TBS, all of it. Love it. That's what I got for Cincinnati that's how we get them in the public consciousness in the national spotlight. Gentlemen, what do you think? That's really good. I'm, I'm impressed. All those high profile people are from Cincinnati. I could probably only name like two people from Cincinnati, which would be, uh, um, Springer. And I, I thought you'd go with Kirk Herb street, who is, I believe from just outside Cincinnati, but maybe that one's too obvious. He's well, already on the inside, you know? There was actually only one tough cut, one really legitimately tough cut. And Tom, I thought you were actually going to get mad at me for not including him. And that's Mr. Nick Lachey. <laughs> I, I thought there was a chance he would appear, but you know, when you are the third best boy band, you know, that doesn't cut it. You know, if we want to posthumously get rich Cronin of LFO on one of these elder committees, one of these days, then I'm cool with that, you know, but 98 Degrees actually didn't have any good songs. That's the thing. Nick Lachey and Neil Armstrong missed the cut. Neil Armstrong. Yeah. See, what I'm learning about the Council of Elders is you can find a good crew from almost any large or even mid-sized American city. But uh, I think the direction I'm going to start taking this later in the season is to go smaller and smaller and eventually get to like, you know, Stroudsburg College PA and see it with see what you come up with. Challenge accepted. Yeah. You'll be like, well, Jim Thorpe is pretty close to that. <laughs> <laughs> Eastern PA is in my wheelhouse, so that one's unfair. Um, so I, I want to segue from that to uh the playoff picture, and we can end the show on this unless you guys have anything else. But you know, let's talk talk about it from the framing of you know, what does Cincinnati need to get in? Because that really breaks down the playoff picture. So Cincinnati still needs help. I think they need um, about three losses, you know, and it could just come down to three games. So Georgia, Alabama are both in unless Alabama loses to Georgia and has two losses. I think there's a slight chance they might still get in, but uh, you know, no two lost team has ever made it. So I think the odds are probably in favor of them being out. That would be very helpful to Cincinnati because if Alabama beats Georgia, then they're both definitely in. And then you've got very few spots left. So Georgia beating Alabama would be a huge help. Oregon needs to lose a game and the PAC 12 needs to get shut out. I think that's a very likely scenario, perhaps next week. Um, yes, the Tinder the Tinder team Utah Utes get to host the Ducks next week, and uh, I think that's where Oregon's loss is coming. 
Yeah. So of all the, of all the teams like that need to lose and conferences that'll get shut out, I'm assuming the ACC is already out. Like I'm, I've got the ACC out of this already. The PAC 12 really needs to get nobody in for Cincinnati to get their bid. And I think it's of all the teams up there, I think Oregon's most likely to lose in the next few weeks. I feel the least confident about them being a true playoff team and they're going to, you know, shank one of these games sometime soon. So I'm going to mark that as a good possibility. Um, And then the big 10, I feel like the big 10 is very likely to get a team in because the way Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, those West teams are playing, it seems like the East has probably got this, although they could, you know, certainly blow it, but you've got Ohio state, Michigan, Michigan state, all ranked up there with one loss. If any of those teams wins the big 10 with one loss, they're in. And I get, I suppose if all of them lose a game, if there's some kind of round Robin thing where they all end up with two losses, then you could see a big 10 shutout. But I think it's more like most likely the big Ten's getting a team in. So Georgia, unless Georgia goes haywire in the next three weeks, they're going to be in big Ten's going to get a team in Oklahoma losing would be huge, huge for Cincinnati because if they lose, then I think Cincinnati's likely to stay ahead of them. Uh, but an undefeated Oklahoma that wins the Big 12, I'm pretty certain leapfrogs them. So if I'm Cincinnati, obviously you have to win out, and I don't think that's guaranteed either, which I think we'll talk about in a, another week or two. But they've got a game against SMU coming up soon that I think they better not get ahead of themselves. Uh, but if they can go undefeated and win out, I think they need Oregon to lose. They need Oklahoma to lose a game and they need Georgia to beat Alabama. And then, or, or perhaps maybe two of those three scenarios. And, and think, I think that's your formula. So I think, I think there's a pretty good, I would put it at at least a 50, 50 shot of that happening. If Cincinnati can hold up their end of the bargain. So uh, what do you guys think? Like, do you have any thoughts on who you think is actually going to make it? Um, a lot of it comes down to Georgia, Alabama. I mean, if Georgia beats Alabama, then it really opens it up. If Alabama beats Georgia, then each of them is getting in and it gets a lot tighter for everybody else. Ohio state looks like they're going to keep winning. Uh, but you know, they played some close games here and there, so it's not a lock that they'll keep winning. I think Cincinnati and Oklahoma both finish undefeated. Um, I think if you had to guess right now, I'm going to say the playoffs going to be Georgia, Ohio State, Cincinnati, Oklahoma. But that could be totally wrong. It could be Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, Notre Dame, for all we know. You know, I mean, there's a lot still up in the air. Yeah, of course. But what you just laid out is what I like the best. I think Ohio State gets it with one loss. I think um, I think Georgia for sure. And then I think, you know, that's going to be real tough. Oklahoma or Alabama, one of those sneaks in. And I think since he, I think they're going to get it. I think it makes sense for Ohio State to be two and <clears throat> Cincinnati to be three and be like the Battle of Ohio. That'd be amazing. Luke Fickle versus yeah. his old uh, his old friends and counterparts at Ohio State. 
I would like to see that, but I'm sure the committee will fuck it up and put Oklahoma at three and Cincy at four, and they'll, then Cincy will play yeah. Georgia. Yep, they'll put they they love to do that where they take the like the small team that people love and put them against just some dominant SEC team, and they get blown out, and then they can be like, "See, we never should have let them in." That's never happening again. Yep. Exactly. So, yeah, we'll find out what the hell. Uh, it's going to be, this is, a, this is a really interesting college football year. It's completely wide open. I mean, obviously right now it seems like Georgia's going to win the national title, but Georgia, as we know, they just haven't closed this deal in our lifetime. And it's always an issue, whether it's, you know, screwing it up in the regular season with Rick to being up too much versus Alabama in the national title game and Tua coming out of nowhere to take their heart. There's always something that happens to them. So who the hell knows what's going to happen? Same thing with the Heisman. Um, I wish I knew the answer to both so I can make some money on future bets, but I don't have a time sheet. It's, it's been great to have some sort of new blood in there. I, I'm enjoying this season a lot. All right, folks. All the rappers. Thank you all for listening. And uh, we will see you next week with, with so many segments ready for next week. We might not actually talk about lines, but we'll try to fit it in somehow. All right. Good night, everyone.